It's time for Vax Talk. Let's talk VPDs. We're shaping the conversation about vaccines. To learn more, visit VaxTalk.org. Hello and welcome to Vax Talk. This is the podcast for people who want to prevent all sorts of diseases. Measles, polio, COVID, monkeypox. Look, I'm saying that not even making a joke. Prevent all the diseases. Prevent all the diseases. My name is Karen gotta, Ernst. Gotta prevent them all. My name is still Karen Ernst, and I am the Executive Director of Voices for Vaccines. And I'm Dr. Nathan Boonstra. I'm a pediatrician here at Blaine Hospital in Des Moines, Iowa, and head of, or, or not head of, chair of uh, our immunization coalition, Iowa Immunizes. I think the exact term is you're the grand poobah. Yeah, that, that I can go with. Oh, there we go. Well, we have a great show today. We are talking to one of my favorite people, Julissa Soto, who has been doing some great vaccine equity work in Colorado with Latino communities. And so you are going to want to stick around for this interview because she is a powerhouse. That's so fun. And she's a lot of fun. She's mm-hmm. great. Like she combines vaccine equity and fun. So what's not to love? Yeah, it's worth uh, listening to. I got the opportunity to hear her at the immunization conference that we went to a couple months ago, and it was one of the most fun times that I've had listening to a a ProVac speaker. Mm -hmm. Well, that was like the best conference ever, of course. Mm -hmm. It really was. It really was great. Anyhow, around the web, I think ours are connected, so I'm going to let you go ahead Mm -hmm. and start. Well, I was just going to talk a little bit. You know, you and I, we've been through this before. This isn't our first uh, anti-vaccine fake documentary or what I like to call crockumentary that we've come across. We've seen everything from stuff from Wakefield to Big Tree to everything. And there's a new one that's out that's COVID specific called Died Suddenly. And so I haven't had the opportunity to watch it yet. I really do try to watch these high profile movies. I will get to watching it at some point. But already, even just from the trailers and stuff, it is already abundantly apparent that it is probably more fraudulent than the usual anti-vax documentary in that they're showing, they're trying to make this case of like, oh, all of a sudden we're having a rash of people that are dying suddenly. Um, and we, and clearly it's from getting vaccinated. This didn't happen before. And they're, you know, using grains of truth in that, oh, there was a concern about with one of the, I think it was AstraZeneca with, with blood clots. And so is this causing all these clots, et cetera. When you actually look at the footage that they're using in the documentary, there are two major things that are popping up. One is that a lot of these deaths that they're focusing on were actually before vaccines came out. If anything, they could have been from COVID, the disease, but a lot of them are, I think, even as early as 2019 and stuff that are clearly not having anything to do with COVID or the vaccine. They, they, as, as tragic as it is, an athlete dying suddenly because of a hypertrophic heart condition that was not diagnosed yet, things like that, they did happen. We learned about them in, in medical school. We know about like that something. That's why you have sports physicals, because you're trying to rule these things out because you know that that can happen. And the other thing that's come up is that a lot of these clots that they're showing in the in the, in the documentary or the trailer appear to be the kind of clots that you see 
after death, that they're post-mortem clots, not uh, clots that are causing a death. So you're seeing a lot of deception to the point that I've seen even a lot of anti-vaxxers kind of be like, yeah, this is kind of bad. I mean, the point of it is right, but a lot of this is is, uh, there's there's some mistakes that were made in this documentary, which is really interesting when you get an anti-vaxxer who's even willing to give on a point of something being like an objective fact being false. That's a big deal. That, that means a lot to how bad your your crockumentary is. Absolutely. And it's really interesting because they're like, it's kind of sloppy work is how they're putting it. Like, this is kind of sloppy that they're using like this woman fainting on screen and it happened in 2019. So, I mean, the point is still good. But the work, I don't know. Whereas, you know, before it was always like, no, this is correct. Right. Like she probably died or fainted from another vaccine, you know, whatever it was. It's They definitely try to to find a way like, oh, well, maybe they were not vaccinated yet against with their second dose. But they had the first. No, they said in this article that they were not vaccinated. Well, they could have been vaccinated. Oh, okay, sure. Yeah, <laughs> they could have thought about being they vaccinated. They weren't. Everybody said they weren't. They were going to get their vaccine, and this happened. They hadn't gotten their vaccine yet, but oh, sure, sure, it's all a, it's all a secret. Yeah, my favorite was the athlete that collapsed mm-hmm. in 2019. Yeah, and is still alive. Yeah, yep. <laughs> Some of them did not die. In fact, <laughs> suddenly or otherwise. Like there's, it's 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 a terrible movie. But it's not like it's more terrible than the other ones. No, it's just more blatantly deceptive, like more obviously disprovable. Usually I feel like anti-vaxxers are better at like cushioning the truth. And to be fair, anybody who watches it is not going to know that. I mean, it does take a Google search to find out that these things are not, that, that these are not all actually incidents that could possibly be related to a vaccine. But I think that what it says to me is that there were so few true examples that they could actually use mm-hmm. that they don't, this wasn't sloppy work. This wasn't like, oops, we didn't check the timestamp on that. You know, this, this is a deliberate choice to include these. And it's got to be because they were unable to come up with enough content for their thesis statement that they could use legitimately. That's exactly it. And also to add on to that, I think part of what's going on is that you have a bunch of people who are a little bit new to the anti-vaccine space. Mm-hmm. People who yep. maybe before COVID-19 were not mm-hmm. anti-vaccine. And this is really the first anti-vaccine documentary they've seen. And they're not used to the ethos behind the movement, which is that right. everything that the movement says is correct, no matter what. Mm-hmm. So you've got people who are like, hmm. And I, th- I think that... It goes along with what we've seen with other former anti-vaxxers who hear things and say that doesn't quite jibe with reality Uh and end up becoming former anti-vaxxers. So I do wonder how much of a backfire effect this film will have. Yeah. I want to point out a couple of fun accounts to if you want to read more about this. Uh, oh, see, now you're taking my around. The oh, web. okay. Well, you go ahead then. I, I was going to suggest so that people follow the real truther. I was too. 
Yeah, who's been doing just an excellent job of point by point debunking this. It's kind of become like the one stop shop if you really want to find out some debunking. Great for me because that means I don't have to watch the film and go do that. So thank you, yep. Real Truther. And then the other debunking that you probably haven't seen yet is on the Voices for Vaccines Facebook page. No, I haven't. Because it was driving me nuts. And so <laughs> I grabbed Brianna, our public health associate, and I'm like, we're going to Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> and then it ended up on Facebook Live. And I said, Brianna, let's do some Googling. And I, you know, put in quotation marks, died suddenly, mm -hmm. went to my tools, did a custom range for the date from 2015 to 2018 and found a whole bunch of people who died suddenly, sadly, mm -hmm. including Prince, but it is a right. thing that happens. And then I yeah. backed it up to 2000 to 2010. And there was a 2008 article on National Public Radio mm -hmm. talking about how athletes die suddenly, young right. athletes. Yep. So it's, it's not an unknown thing. And I, I think part of all of the debunking that's going on is this is a really easily debunkable film. Yeah. But yep. another thing I want to point out is that while you're debunking it, I think it's really crucial to help people see how the misinformation is working. And the blood clots are really central to this, not because they're physical proof of anything, but because when you look at them, they're gross. And mm -hmm. so one of the first things we do when we're making any decision about anything is we kind of, you know, before our ra rational brain kicks in, our, you know, sort of Neanderthal brain kicks in that is this yucky or okay, right? Is it moldy right. or fresh? <laughs> and um, when you're shown those blood clots and you're like, blah, yuck, that's going to be your reaction to the vaccine because it's being connected to the vaccine. Uh -huh. And so that's how even people who are completely rational know all about the vaccines can watch this crazy bad documentary and think to themselves oh i'm kind of scared now is that it really gets to that you know ancestral brain of ours that's telling us yeah. gross yuck go the other way yeah, that's what so, you say all the time when we talk about stories and vaccines because mm -hmm. of attaching an emotion to any kind of lie helps it take root even if we logically know that it's not true and disgust is a particularly pernicious feeling mm -hmm. because we don't even know why we're having that feeling. You know, we can look at a, a story that's sad and we feel sad and we're like, well, of course we feel sad. A child died. That is objectively sad. Yeah. Why we're feeling disgust about a vaccine, we might not realize. Yep. And the other is, of course, the fake expert. So an embalmer is not an expert on vaccines, on anything medically related. Uh -huh. <laughs> they know how to prepare a body for burial. Yeah. That's it. They don't know how to do an autopsy. They don't make medical diagnoses, none of that. And so using an embalmer probably feels real experty, but it's not very experty. So if we can teach people those two things, that they're trying to get us to feel disgust and they're using fake experts, then the next iteration of whatever comes along, they may be a little bit more savvy. We can only hope. It's one of those things. Well, on that note, let's turn to talking to Julissa about all the great work she's doing in Colorado. 
We are now joined by Julissa Soto, who has for more than 20 years dedicated her career to being an advocate for Latino immigrant equality, inclusion, and health equity in Colorado. From working with teen parent programs and serving on the Colorado Vaccine Equity Task Force to promoting health equity at the American Diabetes Association, uh, Julissa has pioneered a wide range of programming designed to empower marginalized communities. And then I will just say that she has received about a bazillion awards because she is pretty amazing and wonderful. And I'm not going to list them all because that would be the whole rest of the podcast. So welcome, Lisa. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Yes, you're right. If, you know, before we went live, I was telling you that I have to now update my resume like every month because every month I, I'm very blessed to receive recognition from my colleagues, from my peers uh, about my work in vaccines. So it's kind of funny that you say that it will take you like 10 minutes to read my bio. <laughs> it's true. And, you know, part of that is that it's really great that people are recognizing how important the work of health equity and vaccine equity is. So can you talk to us a little bit about why you're so passionate about vaccine equity in particular? Yes, being a woman of color, First, let me explain, let me rewind and say that I came from uh, Michoacan, Mexico. I was born and raised in Michoacan, Mexico. I came to the United States approximately 24 years ago, crossed the border in the trunk of a car, and I was in that trunk for 16 hours. Coming to the United States, coming to America, I find that the American dream for me become a nightmare dream that most people don't talk about that when your kids get sick, you, where do you go? You run to the emergency room, this and that. So for me, it was, it, it was like, I used to get very frustrated with healthcare systems because I used to, you know, my kids just, just used to have a, an ear infection and I used to wait in the emergency room like eight to 10 hours for an ear infection. And then I wouldn't think if my kids had their own provider, would I be waiting this long? But at that time, I didn't speak English, so I didn't know how to navigate the system. And I would wait there and just being there in the emergency room, I, I remember talking to God and saying, you know, God, if you teach me how to navigate the system, I will certainly dedicate my time and my efforts to my community, teaching them how to navigate all these systems. People say, be careful what you ask for, because he even gave me more than just knowing how to navigate the system. Now I'm this huge leader in Colorado, and I don't say that. The community has given me that name. You know, for me, I'm just Julissa from the block. I'm doing my job. I'm passionate about it. But then I happen to be one of the best on what I do. But my story begins from running to the emergency room and not knowing that nonprofits exist or federal qualified low-income clinics exist. I never heard what a nonprofit was when I was in Mexico or a federal qualified low-income clinic. Never had that type of vocabulary. Plus, Latinos are about acute, acute care and not preventive mentality. So I was going to the emergency room just when you feel you're dying. That's that's when you go and see the doctor. And so my work began and my passion with it started with that, right? So I've been working with nonprofits for many, many years. Everything focused on public health. Then the pandemic hit and I just didn't want to be involved with vaccines because I heard that they were coming very political. And I just didn't, even though I'm part of politics, I didn't want to be intentionally being part of politics. But then I started hearing from professionals and community members 
the Latinos were hesitant about getting vaccinated. And I was like thinking about that. And I'm like, no, I bet I'm going back to 24 years ago when I was not educated and understand the system. For me, it was access more the the, the hard part to navigate. It was not about me being hesitant about receiving care. I was open to receiving care. So I was like, you know what? Let me get involved a little bit with the state, with everyone and see what's going on with vaccines. Let me create a program where my community feel respected and valued. That's where Vaccine Sunday was born. And in Colorado, 70 and 70, around 72% of us are Catholics and, and I am Catholic myself. So I um, I started looking at church and saying, hey, what about if I speak here to captive audience and, and involve the priest on this program? So I started going to the church and saying, hey, Father, can I, can I talk about vaccines and maybe organize a vaccine clinic in here? Knowing, Karen, that I did not have an experience organizing vaccine clinics. I'm, I'm an organizer. So when you're an organizer by heart and activist, you think you can organize just about everything, right? Well, I was a little bit wrong with that one because I didn't think about the anti-vaccinators and I didn't think about dealing with health departments and systems. They're a beast, you know, the health departments. So I was like, oh, easy. I'm going to organize a clinic here at the church. I'm going to speak during mass and we're all going to be happy. Well, my first vaccine clinic that I organized, it was a lot of success. But at the same time, it was kind of sad because that's when I started learning that the health system don't operate the way that I wanted them to operate. It was very difficult for them to come out in a Sunday, 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. You know, for them, it's Monday through Friday. And Fridays they close early, and oh my God, if you uh, if you call after two o'clock, everybody is home, and everything is closed, and everybody was talking about Latinos being hesitant because they were organizing clinics Monday through Thursday or Monday through Friday when it's convenient for the providers, but not convenient for the community. And I did the opposite. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna do the opposite of what these providers are doing. I'm gonna organize clinics on the weekends and at nights and see if people would show up. Yes, people will show up, big lines. They will show up up to 11 p.m. Why? Because most of us immigrants, refugees, have two, three jobs. We come to this country, you know, to work. And we're not going to lose money on the table or food on the table to get our children vaccinated. So we had to meet them where they're at. That is what is called equity. And that's what I said to everyone, you know, hey, we need to meet them where they're at. So on Sunday... You know, on Sundays, I started I started organizing clinics on Sundays and um, in clinics and, and speaking during mass to a captive audience. I will speak about the homily, which is the word of the Lord at, the, at that day. And also I will speak about vaccines, science, how it saved life. And I would also be available after church for any concerns you might have, any fears. The community knows that I'm one of them. I might look different now, or they might see me different, but they still know that I'm Julissa from the block. I'm still that Julissa that crossed the border in the trunk of a car. That would never go away. Those 16 hours, I will never forget, right? So in the community knows that. So the community knows that when I promote something, it's not because I get paid to do so, but because I am in love with what I'm promoting. I know that it's going to take us to a whole different level and save our lives. That's how Vaccine Sunday was born. So you said that before starting on Vaccine Sundays and kind of 
these new advocacy projects, you did a lot of work in public health. Did that kind of intersect with vaccinations much or was it focused on other things? And then how did those previous experiences kind of inform or how do they were the same or different than when you started getting into vaccine equity? I'm a commissioner with the Suicide Prevention Coalition. And, and so what I... I'm, I, I take the seat of attempt survivor. So my passion was behavioral health, behavioral health, because, you know, I went through that experience myself and I still want to teach our community about behavioral health, mental health, and how important it is to seek for help when we need it. But in our culture, it's a no, no to ask for help. Behavioral health doesn't exist. Mental health doesn't exist. And the same thing happens when it comes to accessing systems, right? We just don't want to go to our clinics. We just want to go to the emergency room, get seen. We don't want to deal with systems. So all my work on public health helped me understand where the community was coming from when, when they say they didn't want to get vaccinated. It was not about hesitancy. It was the same problems that I faced when I was in behavioral health or when I was in public health overall. Same problems, access, treatment, discrimination, not being not being equitable, all those problems I brought with me to vaccine to think about how it can be more effective. And so when I started my vaccine clinics, I started talking to the providers about our fears, where we come from, and for the providers to start thinking a little bit different, the status quo need to go. Most providers want to go to 2019. If way back then nothing was working, what does it make you think that going back to what was not working is going to work? So for me, it was talking to the providers about what didn't work or fears and why the community will love to come to my community clinics. And I go to um, one of their federal qualified low-income clinics. And I know that most providers are like, Ulisa, the community needs to come to us. What they don't understand is that first we need to build the trust. First, we go to them in order for them to come to us. I love that, Ulisa. That is so amazing and it makes so much sense. And I think that for so many people who work in public health, the intentions are so good, but the blind spots are so huge. I think that we were blinded for so many years and we decided that way because it was comfortable. You know, when you're, it's like the same way that when you are in a bad relationship, but you know, you need that person to pay your mortgage, to pay, you know, your bills. And it's the situation is comfortable and you don't want to, you don't want to move anything because where you're at, it's okay. That's what was happening in Colorado with healthcare providers. They were comfortable. They knew that something was going on, but nobody wanted to talk about it because if you start talking about it, then guess what happened? Guess what has happened to me? It's meeting after meeting, work after work. It takes a lot of your energy to be talking to people that sometimes don't want to understand where you come from or they decide to be in that comfort zone, comfort area, and they don't want to move the cheese. Who moved my cheese? Those are the providers. Right, exactly. I'm wondering, as you've talked to folks on these amazing vaccine Sundays, what are some of the concerns that people are bringing to you? One of, one of the ones that they had at the beginning, it was that they could not have babies. They wouldn't be fertile. That in, in you know, in the Latino community, we want to have 20,000 kids. That's a joke, but we do want to have 20,000 kids. We were about, and I just don't understand why, right? Because I'm a Mexican woman and I don't want to have 20,000 kids, but most, most people in my community do, and I have to respect that. That's the culture that I come from. So I will certainly 
to them about that's not necessarily true. Let me tell you exactly what it is and and explain all the myths and, and ease their fear. And when I was talking to them, you know, I also was giving them a lot of love. It's not like I'm just giving them a brochure or flyer because I hear a lot of my professional colleagues saying, we have great brochures, flyers, we have this toolkit. My community is not even looking at your toolkit because first of all, we don't speak English. Second of all, we're not technology savvy. And third, we're about relationships. So even if I bring flyers with me, those flyers don't mean nothing. What means something to them is that I am talking to them, educating them about vaccines, but also telling them, here's my phone number in case you have any other questions. You don't want to get vaccinated today, mi niña? That's okay. I'm going to have another vaccine clinic next Sunday and the Sunday after. This is where you can look for me. You know, I don't push people to make decisions right away. I say, go home and think about it. A lot of the people will be like, no, we don't want to think about it. We're here already and we're, we're, we're coming with you. I'm like, okay, perfect. But they need to feel that love that you bring with education. You know, most of the community health workers, navigators seem robotic to me. Seem like, here's a brochure and flyer. Research and studies say, I don't, I don't educate the community that way. I start with, where are you from? What do you like the most? Why you came here to the United States? And then once they give me those answers, I would understand how to approach them and what triggers them. And what makes them so happy? What makes them trust you? But I don't just pass brochures and flyers. And I have heard many professionals saying, we were at event passing brochures and flyers. We were at a table. That doesn't work with my community. It might work with other communities, but not with mine. With mine is about lots of love. You have to understand that most of us in here, immigrants or refugees, we are not here because, you know, life was so great in Mexico. We just wanted to come here. You know, we're here with lots of traumas. We bring lots of traumas with us, including myself. Those 16 hours in the trunk of a car, I guess I'll take with me till I die, you know? And that's the story that many, many of the people I serve have, Karen. So with me, it's like telling them my story. Tell me yours. These are my traumas. What are your traumas, Mija? And once I start talking about the traumas, and, you know, the community start talking to me and I'm like, oh, now I know what are your fears? What, where are your fears? And, they, it, you know, for them, most of the time it's also like this was something created by the white folks. It was it, it was conspiracy. They want to know where we're at so they can deport us, Julissa. Is that true? And I was like, no, Mija, if they would want to find out where we're at, it's easy to do so by our home address, if we have an ID, when you go shop at the store. I said, no, mija, don't, don't believe all that stuff. And I said, this country, and, and I do certainly believe in America, Karen, because I'm a US citizen now, and this is my country too. And, and I believe that this is the land of the brave, the land of opportunities. And that's how I talk to my community about this land. This, this land has given me a lot more opportunities than my country would ever give me as a woman. We are second-class citizens in Mexico still. So when I'm talking to them, I am comparing. And, and they hear they hear me out. They hear me out, and they're like, okay, well, where can I get vaccines? Oh, can you give me your the phone number of your immigration lawyer? It, it becomes more a clinic, a clinic of information without no brochures and flyers. I don't know why we keep spending so much money on brochures and flyers on communities that don't even get it. Well, and I think that just 
the way that you brought this to the community on Sundays is one of those examples of, of meeting people where they are. And I'm curious more about the decision to do vaccine Sundays. On the one hand, I think, oh, wow, that's an amazing opportunity when you're talking about something like vaccines that is all about looking out for one another. And on the other hand, as you mentioned, you know, it's now a politically charged topic. I can't imagine you didn't get some pushback about that or have some stumbles when you came to the to the to the idea of vaccine Sundays. Can you tell us a little bit more about that process and if there are any barriers to that? Yes, you know, like I said to you guys, I was super excited. I started vaccines and I said, I'm going to save lives. Never thought that the priests at the churches, the anti-vaccinators, all the antis were going to come my way. The barriers that I have faced with the Catholic Church is that you have the Franciscans, the Dominicans, the new cats. The new cats are super conservative. And those are the ones that don't want to talk about vaccine. And probably they're not vaccinated. I don't know. The Franciscans and Dominicans are more open to serve the community. They, you know, they have that responsibility with the community about not only in religion, but spiritual health care. And so my community, you know, it, it was ready. They were ready for vaccines, but the challenges that I have faced and the pushbacks, the pushbacks from the state saying, we don't have vaccines, we can work on the weekends. Julissa, you want long hours and going back and forth, just negotiating one clinic takes months just with a health department. Now with, you know, with the church, it takes also months and weeks to organize a clinic at their church. And usually a lot of the priests is like, can I make the announcement? They don't want me to speak a lot of the times and because they just want to say, oh, we have free vaccines outside. I'm like, how is that going to motivate? How is that motivational interviewing priests? You know, let me speak so I can motivate the community. They can get vaccinated. So I try as much as I can to speak at church. But when they say, no, you're not speaking today, we will announce your vaccines. I said, you know, I still say it's a win. At least they want to say that we have a vaccine clinic. It's not the perfect scenario. It's not what I would prefer, but it is what it is. You know, a lot of the times in the pushback, I'm going um, on two years working on this nonstop every week and every week and every weekend. And, and I continue to get pushbacks by by, you know, by supplies, not getting enough flu vaccines, COVID vaccines. And now I added childhood vaccines, you know, so I added all of the type of vaccines. I said, you know what, if I already have the community in one place, why not offer all? Like tortas, tamales, burritos, let's offer it all. So I have MMR, the top, COVID, flu, you know, I just see it that way. And believe it or not, when I'm announcing the vaccines, a lot of the times I go like, come on, guys, I have pozole, tacos, tamales. They look at me and they're like, you, you really have all that food? And I'm like, no, it's the vaccines, you know, but I make it in a fun way where people are not intimidated to approach us. But I do yell tacos, pozole, tamales, and then I go DTAP, MMR, viruela, sarampion, and they're like, oh, wow, you know? So it, I just find ways, cultural relevant ways to approach my community, but the pushback will always be there. Vaccine work is not, is, is not going to be, when I entered this world, like I said to you, I thought it was easy. I was going to save lives. Now I know what I sign up for, and I'm going to be here forever with vaccines. I just love vaccines. I know that vaccines I save lives and, and nobody can stop me now. I have come too far to go back. I 
just love well I, I just love you first of all like I never tear up when people are talking to me and I just keep finding myself tearing up because it's so amazing and I love that you're going to Franciscan churches because I was actually raised in a Franciscan church so my question is actually about I'm so happy to hear that you're starting to include the routine immunizations I'm certain you're getting pushback from providers who really are afraid that because you're offering routine immunizations that means that kids are not getting a medical home or well child checks. So how are you addressing that concern on their part? Yes, when I talk to providers, I always care and try to make the best out of difficult times. Julissa Soto has never had an easy life. So my life has always been faced with challenges, but challenges for me have become opportunities. Like COVID become an opportunity for me to educate my community a little bit more on vaccines. When I talk to providers, I said, okay, give me one chance. We'll go to the community. We vaccinate children in the community, but right in there, we talk to them about medical home and child well checkups. And right in there, we tell we make an appointment for the child and the parent to come and see you. So that way we all win in here. So some of the providers are like, that's a great idea, Julissa, because we kill two birds with one stone. For example, now on my community clinics, I am talking about the PHE and wine and public health emergency. And not only that, I also offer Medicaid. So I help families apply for Medicaid. So they come and get their vaccines. I help them change their address for their Medicaid. And also we help with Medicaid access to care, you know, and we move forward with that. But yes, I talk to the providers, do not fear. You know, I am here to complement the work that you're already doing it, but I'm doing it in a cultural relevant way. Meet me where they're at, and then we're going to come to you and we're going to be loyal to you. And some providers are like, great. Some are like, no, they just need to come to us. And I, and, and I feel a lot of the times, Karen, is their ego that they need to come to us. Why do we need to go to them? But, you know, when you're a provider, I feel that you know where you sign up for and, and, they need to understand our community. That is that. That's what we call equity, right? And equality, meeting you where you're at. And that's not what we're doing right now. You mentioned one of the ways that uh, it's been more challenging than you expected was the anti-vax pushback as well. Uh, in addition to the other barriers that you mentioned, I'm kind of curious as to what your experience with the anti-vaccine movement has been like. What's that like in the communities you serve? How do you feel like that's different than the anti-vax community or anti-vax pushback in other communities, um, et cetera? You know, the anti-vax community in Colorado is strong and loud. And I feel that the pro-vax are are less loud. I feel that the pro-vaccine people are always about let's let's be polite, let's kumbaya, Lord. But the anti-vaccineers, boom, they come at it with us and they don't think about being polite or not. I'm all about being civil, but at the same time, if you're coming with everything on me, I am gonna go at it with you the same way. As, as you're an anti-vaccinator, I'm I'm a pro-vaccine person, right? So so I I certainly have faced a lot of the discrimination and a lot of the things that when I started vaccinating, I was in one of my clinics, I was, I got hit by a car. My knees were like bleeding like no other. That car just left me in the middle of the, my vaccine clinic bleeding. Um, in another situation, I was in Colorado Springs with a motorcycle group of white folks came to me and say, you need to, you and your vaccines need to get that out of here. And, um, 
And I keep saying, no, I'm going to leave till I vaccinate the last person in this line. Well, he put his shirt up and he had a gun and he told me, I'm telling you to leave. And, and I was like, no, I'm not leaving. And I'm not scared with you and you're gone. And then he's girlfriend or wife came came at me and say you're not going to talk to my men this way and I said well tell your men not to talk to me that way either so I didn't back off at all and I did not leave that day till till you know I finished vaccinating the last person now you can tell me who Lisa with us was that responsible or irresponsible but at the moment you need to think that you're if you're always backing off they're gonna win and and that's the risk we take as community leaders do I keep my community safe and leave every time that they find me vaccinating people? Or do I show my community that I have strength, even though I was afraid, I'm not going to lie to you, but that I have strength to lead, to lead vaccines and to come into conclusion that I am not going to leave. And, and, you know, this white man ended up leaving because he got tired of telling me to leave. That was the second time. The third time just happened a month and a half ago where I was at one of the churches and this lady came with a knife. Uh, came at it at me. She she called. She said, "Julisa." I turned around and I thought it was somebody that knew me, but she was coming after me with a knife. Thank God. By then, now believe it or not, I feel like the bodyguard. Not the movie. I have security, so I have security. I have a man walking next to me that sometimes I forget. I have security, and I'm like, "What is this guy doing next to me?" I said, "Can you move a little bit?" But then he's my security guy, so he catch her on time, and, and you know, did a report. Yes, um, one of the agencies that I contract with, um, you know, hires security for me. And so those are the experiences that I have faced with the anti-vaccinators. Now you can tell me, are you afraid? No, it's like they give me more energy to keep it going and saying, oh, this is fun. This is fun. If I'm bothering somebody that much, is because I might be doing something right. Absolutely. And I'll tell you, I know someone else you're really bothering, and that's the COVID-19 is really bothered by you. Because <laughs> I think one of the things that you have made clear is that you don't think there's vaccine fatigue in Latino communities, that you are seeing something entirely different when you go out. And what is that? Exactly. You know, most professionals and most Providers say, uh, don't you think the community is vaccine fatigue? The community is vaccine fatigue. No, to the contrary. These past two weeks, we run out of vaccines. Our community is not fatigued. It's the providers who are fatigued. It's the systems who are fatigued of me, you know, bringing the community out, saying we want the vaccines. This is a right. This is a right that we were born with. Give us our vaccines. Yes, I COVID's getting nine, uh, getting tired of me. CDPHE, uh, public health department, and all of that. I don't think they're getting tired of me. I think they're they're more like, you know what? It's time to listen. Let's move this direction. She's vaccinating these many people. She has proven to us that the community wants to get vaccinated. Let's get them access. Even though I have had many challenges with health departments, at the end of the day, Karen. They are my family and I love them because we are, you know, they're the type of family, you know, when you fight with your brother and sister and you don't like them and you stop talking to them because you don't like them. Well, CDPHE, you know, Colorado Health Department, it's like that with me, you know, they're my family. Sometimes I don't like them. Sometimes I don't like the way, the direction they're moving. But at the same time, I have high respect for them and all other providers. But the providers need to stop saying that the community is vaccine fatigue. They need to start saying we are fatigued. We are the ones who are tired. 
So that way we can face the reality, the reality of you being tired and being honest. Let's don't blame it on the poor people. They just want vaccines. Let's don't blame these on those who don't have a voice. I am the voice of the voiceless. I am telling you we need vaccines and we're bringing the people to you. So I have seen something completely different. So when I hear people saying people are vaccine fatigue, I'm like, where? Like where? In your own little square? Because you don't get out of your neighborhood, not in the hood. You know, maybe in your city where they're they're doing great, but not not in low income areas. That's not necessarily true. I think that sounds right when I hear people say kind of similar things. So looking forward then, what do you have kind of on the agenda to help combat this or what new projects do you have in mind? Well, coming 2023, I'm going to start a campaign that is called One School, One Vaccine at a Time. Una Escuela, Una Vacuna a la Vez. I'm going to go to Title One Schools. I'm going to go to those schools that might not be in compliance. I'm going to go to those schools that they have high, free, and reduced lunch. And I'm going to start coming to the schools on Friday nights, Friday 4 to 8 p.m. or 4 to 9 p.m. I don't want the parents to be running in traffic saying, oh, my God, I'm not going to make it to vaccines. We will be open late at night on Fridays. So that way you can get your vaccine, go rest for the weekend. But we're going to come to you. We're going to continue coming to you. We're going to continue with Vaccine Sunday. And under the project also, among many, many other projects, working with pharmacies, uh, the School of Pharmacy students, they're eager to get vaccines out there. So I am. I, I look forward to all these plans and see how we can move the needle in the state of Colorado. Super excited to see what's coming in 2023. And super excited for the anti-vaccinators to hear all of my plans. Thank you so much, Ulisa. It was so great having you here. You just bring so much energy and light and positivity to everything that we're all doing. And I'm so grateful to have had you on our podcast. Yes, I'm super excited. And anytime you want to invite me, Karen, talk about anything that has to do with the community, myths, culture, religion, vaccines, access to care, I am here for you guys. I am a fan of yours also, and I was honored to be this on this podcast today. Thank you so much. And thank you to all of you for joining us. You know, it's really so motivating to listen to Julissa. And if there's any way that you can think of to bring vaccines to more communities, please do. I'm going to put in the show notes a link to tell you how uh, if you are got a community-based organization or a church or anything, how you can host vaccine clinics. So please take a look at that. Um, in the meantime, though, I'm Karen Ernst. I'm the Executive Director of Voices for Vaccines. You can find us at voicesforvaccines.org. And I am Dr. Nathan Booster, a pediatrician here at Blink Children's Hospital in Des Moines, Iowa, and Chair of Iowa Immunizes, our uh, state vaccination coalition, which you can find at iowaimmunizes.org. And it's a great coalition to look up. I am so yeah. proud of the work that Iowa is doing. Um, as uh, you know, as goes Iowa, goes the rest of the country. There's some phrase like that. I'm getting it that's backwards. Exactly, that's exactly right. That's right. <laughs> Except Minnesota. We're going the other way. Yep. Okay. Have a great day, everybody. Podcast out. Bye. <laughs>